This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from our I Am sermon series. In this series, we're looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus, discovering who Jesus is according to His own words, and how this impacts us today. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. Good morning. Glad you're here. If you're joining us online, we're so happy that you're doing that. Today, we're continuing in our series called I Am. We're looking at these statements of Jesus, Jesus in his own words, Jesus defining who he is. And so today, we're combining two of these phrases together. There's a place where Jesus says, I am the gate or I am the door. And then another place where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and life. And there's a lot of similarities in the messages between these two statements. We're going to combine them together. So if you have your Bibles, go over to John chapter 10. John 10, verse 7. Here's what Jesus says. He said again, verily, truly, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Other translations say, I'm the door for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or abundantly. And so uh, Jesus is gonna, in these two statements Jesus makes, there's three things these statements are doing. One is they're both invitations to immediate and eternal flourishing. So when Jesus says, I am the gate or I am the door for the sheep, we have to understand a couple of things about shepherding in the ancient world at this time. And so there was really two ways that, that shepherds would keep their sheep. One is if it was in the, uh, um, in the winter time, and if you were relatively close to a town or a city, what would happen is in the daytime, the shepherds would take out, take the sheep to um, local fields. And then at night, many times there would be a kind of a communal pen um, that in the city or the town where, where all the different shepherds would come and bring their sheep for the night. And these pens were more like something we would imagine, like a, an enclosed situation like a, with fencing or walls and, and, a, and an actual door. And then there, what would oftentimes happen in the summertime is these shepherds would take the sheep out into fields where they would remain for days or even weeks. And then each night they would go and there would be a, an, um, a kind of a, um, an inset carved in the, the mountainside or the hillside that would sort of form a, a uh, kind of a, a wall on three sides. And then um, what would happen is there'd be no actual door. And then at night, the shepherd or shepherds would lay themselves across that opening. And, and, and then they would become sort of this human door where if anything were to come in or go out, they, they would hear it, they would feel it. They became the actual door with their body. That's sort of the imagery that Jesus is saying. He says, I am the door. I am the gate. He says, whoever enters through me will be saved. And so in this metaphor, it's Jesus is the gate or the door. And then let's look at the other key passage we're looking at today. John 14, verse one. We only cheer the first time unless you really need to. Freedom. John 14, verse one. If people just want to just randomly cheer through the whole message, it's fine. We'll just be here longer. Uh, 
John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be also where I am. I like this next little interchange. You know the place to where I'm going. And then the disciples kind of all look at each other like, no, he thinks we know, but we don't know. Thomas verbalizes it. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So both of these statements are, are Jesus's invitations to follow him, to, to be with him and experience flourishing in this life and in the next. And so in that first passage, he says, I'm the door. Whoever enters into me will be saved. I, I will take him to pasture. Now, if you're a, a sheep, well, you really have three basic needs. You need a shepherd to protect you, you need water, and you need grass to eat or pasture. So when Jesus says, come and experience this pasture, he's talking about flourishing. Come and be with me and, and have all of your needs met. You are going to flourish. In fact, I'm promising you life to the fullest, abundant life. Now, in this passage, Jesus is inviting us to, to flourish with him now and then also eternal flourishing. He says, I'm going to, to be with my father. I'm going, I'm going to be with him. And I am inviting you to come with me. It's what, what we would think of as heaven. So Jesus is saying, I'm gonna go to heaven. I'm gonna be in my, with my father. I'm gonna prepare a place for you. And so he says, and, but to come, he says, I am the way to, to this place. And so it's an invitation. Both of these are invitations to follow Jesus, to experience him in this life, to flourish in this life, and then to flourish being with him forever and ever. But the second thing about both of these statements is they both are, are declarations of unique exclusivity. In both of these statements, Jesus is saying something that is very unpopular to think about today. It's not politically correct. It goes against all of the messages of our culture where Jesus says effectively and clearly, he's saying, I am the only way to be right with God. I'm the only way to flourishing in this life and, and, and for eternal flourishing. It's a declaration of exclusivity. It's an incredibly unpopular belief today. But when Jesus says, I am the door, I am the gate, he doesn't say, I'm a door. And he doesn't say, I am a gate. He says, I'm the door. I'm the gate. Come follow me to salvation. Follow me to this abundant life. And when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, he doesn't say, I am a way. I'm not one of many ways. He, he, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then in case that wasn't clear enough, he unpacks it more. He says, no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus could not have made a more crystal clear declaration of exclusivity, that he's the only way to God, that he absolutely does in these statements. And, and it's an incredibly unpopular message today, incredibly um, politically incorrect. And, and many, many people, the spirit of, of our culture absolutely objects to this message. Some would say, no, that's not true. All religions lead to God. And that sounds really nice. And that sounds really encouraging and comforting, kind of wants to make us all like hold hands and sing kumbaya. It does sound really, really nice. 
Mahatma Gandhi said it this way. He said, my position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. Oprah Winfrey, similarly impactful life, maybe. Um, one of the biggest mistakes human make, humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, it's an incredibly exclusivistic message that goes absolutely against the, the, the kind of what, what our culture wants to believe. And, and, but we have to kind of step back and say, okay, so if all religions lead to God, we have to recognize that, that other religions tell us this is false. Christianity is not alone in being exclusive in its truth claims. Islam is exclusivist, the second largest world religion. It teaches that there is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his ultimate prophet. The only way to go to heaven is to convert to Islam, which includes believing in the six main doctrines and practicing the five duties of Islam. And Hinduism, Buddhism, and Sikhism are more exclusivistic than you'd think. And there's probably no religion more exclusivistic than atheism, which says, all of the billions and billions of people that believe in any God are wrong. So other religions tell us that it's really unfathomable that all religions would lead to God. Logic tells us this is false. Aristotle is the one that introduces what's called the law of non-contradiction, which states if something is true, its opposite cannot be true at the same time and in the same way. Two contradictory statements cannot be true. If I were to say I am in Reno, Nevada, I could not at the same time and in the same way, in the same place, say I am in Paris, France. These two things contradict themselves. And, and so the, the logic tells us that the idea that all these religions are, are, are indeed going to take me to God. And, and scripture tells us this is false. Jesus makes this incredibly clear in, this, in these statements. I am the gate, I am the door. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus makes this very clear. The teaching of the apostles makes it very clear. Uh, Peter, in Acts chapter four, he's preaching to people who, who just weeks before had yelled, crucify him, crucify him. They, they literally killed Jesus. Peter reminds them of the fact, you killed Jesus. And then he says this. He says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter could have very easily, talking to this Jewish audience, said, hey, just keep on the path of Moses and Abraham and you guys are gonna all be good. But instead what he says is he says their salvation is found in no other name than the name of Jesus. It's an incredibly exclusivistic message which goes completely counter to our modern 2022 American sensibilities that, that, that this idea that there's only one path to God. See, some would say that there's multiple paths to God and other, others would say something similar but different. Others would say, no, it, it, there's not just one way because all religions basically teach the same things. All, some would say, you know, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Judaism or uh, all the great religions, including that, that they all say the same stuff. And, and there is a sense of truth 
and that there is overlap. Specifically, if you're looking at the, the great monotheistic religions that came out of the Middle East, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, there is truth and that there is meaningful overlap in some ways. We see similar creation narratives. We, we see similar ideas about morality, that it's wrong to steal and commit adultery and, and we should be kind to the poor, that we see so, these same themes, specifically across the great monotheistic religions, but you even see some of these things, themes in, in, in Eastern religions and other faiths, these, these kind of basic ideas of morality, this overlap, and that's for sure true. And I believe that overlap is a good thing. I believe that it reinforces this idea we see in the scripture that God has, in a sense, written his law on our hearts. And so we're just sort of hardwired to know that it's wrong to steal and that we shouldn't commit adultery and those things. But you have to understand this. While there's great overlap, um, that overlap is not the same thing as sameness. Let me show you a couple of illustrations and, uh, that I used about four years ago to talk about some of these things. Think about dogs and cats. They both have a tail. Dogs and cats both have a tail. Dogs and cats both have four legs. Dogs and cats both furry. Dogs are good and cats are evil. And uh, it's, there is overlap, but overlap is not the same thing as sameness. Let me show you another one. Bank robbers a DJ, and your mom helping you take off your sweater. Your mom and the bank robbers will both say, just do what I tell you to do. Bank robbers and the DJ will both say, everybody on the floor. The DJ and your mom will both say, we could be here all night. All three will say, put your hands up. But a bank robber's not a DJ, a DJ's not your mom, your mom's not a bank robber, unless your mom is a bank robbing DJ. And <laughs> overlap is not the same thing as sameness. And so while we do see overlap on, on issues like a creation narrative and, and, and basic morality, when it comes to the most important questions like, who is God? How, do I be, how am I made right with God? Who is Jesus? When it comes down to the most important questions, the, the religions of the world couldn't be more different. Let me show you this chart. On the question of who is Jesus, the, our Jewish friends that, that don't follow Jesus would say that Jesus was just a man who was executed by the Romans. He founded a heretical sect claiming to be the Messiah. Most Jews see Jesus as a myth or his followers as an occult. Our Muslim friends would say, Jesus was a prophet of God who was not crucified, was switched with a lookalike as true prophets are not executed. Mohammed supersedes Abraham, Moses, and Jesus as the final authority. Our Hindu friends would say, Jesus may or may not be one of the many incarnations of the Brahmin or one of the hundred millions of gods worshiped. You can add or subtract Jesus, you will still be caught up in the life, death, rebirth cycle. Our Buddhist friends would say Jesus was a man who was enlightened and can help in the path of enlightenment. There is no God or there is no personal God and only our souls are on a journey to escape rebirth cycle. 
Christians would say Jesus is God incarnate. Our separation from God was so great, only our creator could save us. Only God's death and resurrection could bring us life. See, while there is overlap, there are very stark differences. And so this idea that says uh, all religions lead to God, all religions teach the same things, it's just fundamentally not true. If you just have to look as far as John 3, 16, the most well-loved uh, probably verse to, to most Christians, many Christians, says this, for God so loved the world. Now, Buddhists would say that there is no personal God. The idea of a God loving anybody in a personal way, absolutely unfathomable. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Islam would say God has no son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so when it comes down to who is God, who is Jesus, how am I made right with God, the, the, world, the world's religions all say very different things. They can't all be saying the same thing. Another thing that people say when you talk about the idea of Jesus being the only way to God is they'll say, well, that makes Christians seem arrogant and narrow-minded. Now, I'm here to let you know, I know a lot of Christians and a lot of them, especially the ones that end up being interviewed on TV, do tend to be arrogant, ignorant, and narrow-minded. Now, and then I'd say, if you, if you don't know anyone that's like that, it might mean that, that you're like that. And uh, <laughs> um, But some people having an arrogant or narrow-minded attitude is not, does not mean that, that, they're, that, that Jesus is not the only way to God. First Peter 3.15 warns us against bringing the truth in ways that seem arrogant or narrow-minded. First Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He says, be ready to point people to Jesus, our source of real hope. He says, but don't be a jerk when you do it. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, here's the truth. Every day, and it's important to read the New Testament this way. Whenever you see Paul or, or Peter writing to a church saying, don't do this, it means for sure people are doing this. So there's for sure some jerky Christians in that church. And so Peter says, hey, listen, just it's you need to for sure point people to our source of hope, which is Jesus, but do so gently and respectfully, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior may be ashamed of their slander. But here's the thing. Simply claiming that one thing is true and something else is not true is not by definition being arrogant or narrow-minded. We recognize this when it comes to medicine. We recognize this. If you go in to your doctor and you're feeling very, very poorly for a number of weeks or months and your doctor comes and says, you have aggressive cancer and the treatment plan that gives the best path to, to you having the best chance to heal is surgery followed by radiation or chemotherapy. Now, if you were to look at your doctor or if you're standing in front of a team of doctors, experts in their field, and, and they make this recommendation and you say, you know what? I believe that there are thousands of paths towards my healing. And the path I choose is lots of donuts and cookies. And I think it's just as good as that was that you're telling me. 
We know intuitively that that's just not the way the world works. That there are so, that it's saying that one thing is true and something else is false doesn't make you arrogant or narrow-minded. There, you can say it in an arrogant way. Some people are narrow-minded, but, but simply making a truth claim is not the same thing as being arrogant and narrow-minded. Here's the third thing. So when Jesus says this, these statements, I'm the door, I'm the gate, I'm the way and the truth and the life, he's inviting us to, to experience him, to flourish in this life and, and forever. He, he, he's making very exclusive claims about himself. And what he's doing is he's giving us motivations for a clear decision. You see, many who would refute that Jesus is the only way to God uh, that would say, you know, there's multiple paths. And in fact, Jesus was a great prophet. We saw in that chart, other religions say he was a great prophet or he was enlightened or he was a good teacher. And, and, and trying to, to kind of play this middle ground that says, hey, Jesus was great, but he's certainly not the only way to God. And, and, but what, what we see in these statements, statements like, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one's coming to the Father except through me. When he's when making statements like, everyone else has been thieves and robbers, but I am the door, I am the gate, I'm the path to your flourishing. These statements are the sorts of statements that there's no middle ground response to those. You can't step back and say, you know what, I, I, he's... He, he's not the only way to God, but, but he was a great prophet, great teacher, and a great miracle worker, and I'm a big fan. It's those, that option's not available to us. Because, because here's the thing. If, if the things that Jesus said about himself, if they weren't true, we're left with two options. One, that he was the biggest liar, and by the way, the best liar that ever lived. And someone that would lie about the most important questions in life, like who is God? How am I made right with him? How might I live forever? Someone that says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. If he knows that that's fundamentally false, he's not a good teacher. And, and, and he's not enlightened or a good prophet. He's absolutely the most wicked con man that ever lived if he knew that wasn't true. And when, when Jesus told someone that their sins were forgiven, if he knew he didn't have that ability, he's just this cruel liar. And if, when he says, I'm the only way to God, if he knows that's not true, he's the most cruel and effective liar that's ever lived. Imagine that you woke up this morning and your spouse rolled over and say, good morning. And then they look at you and they say, I want you to know your sins are forgiven. <laughs> and you're like, is this about that thing I said yesterday about your outfit? And they're like, no, all of them. And you're like, wow, it's a big statement. And then they say, hey, uh, I am the only way to eternal life. Feel free to worship me. Now you're thinking to yourself, you know, they've always had more confidence than felt appropriate. Always lived on the verge of normal and narcissist. But now, now I'm taking them to a mental hospital. Because that's a crazy thing to say if it's not true. 
So this, the idea that what many people want to do is say, well, Jesus isn't the only way to God, but he was for sure a prophet, for sure a good teacher, for sure super enlightened. It's like, that's just, that's, that option's not available to us. He was either the greatest liar that ever lived, lying about the most important issues that anyone's ever lied about, and therefore incredibly wicked, deserving to burn in hell, or he was an absolute madman that would make Jim Jones or David Koresh look normal. Or he was who he said he was. Those are the only options available to us. And so when Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life, there's no middle ground response that says, I think he's actually a pretty good guy, but not the only way to God. I think he was a prophet, but certainly there's multiple paths to God. He's made it clear. He says, either I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, or this guy's a crazy liar who, by the way, was willing to die for his lie and get many, many, many other people to die for his lie, or he was just crazy beyond all imagination, or he was indeed who he said he was. So when Jesus makes these statements, it's a motivation where we've we've got to make a clear decision as to what am I going to do with Jesus? And some of you are in a spot where, where you need to make a decision about Jesus. Maybe you've been delaying making that decision for days, weeks, months, or years. Maybe some of you are in this process where you've really been wrestling for a period of time and you're in the process of making a decision about Jesus. Others of you, maybe you've made a decision about Jesus, but you never kind of made it official, made it public, taking that next step. Next week uh, in both of our services, we're going to baptize people. Uh, in fact, we have a class after this service. If you have a child in elementary um, age that's been asking questions about Jesus or baptism, there's class upstairs in the kids' building after this. You should for sure go to that. But maybe you yourself, you've been kind of wrestling with making a decision about Jesus, or you've recently made a decision about Jesus, but you've just, or maybe it's been a while, but you've just never made it public. Best I knew how, I gave my life to Christ when I was seven years old. The church I grew up in, if you wanted to get baptized, you had to walk down to the front of 3,000 people and say, I want to get baptized. And at seven years old, I just couldn't wrap my head, that was just absolutely terrifying to me. And when I was 15 and began to get more serious about my faith, I, I realized how silly is it for me to say that I'm gonna follow Jesus and seek to obey him if I won't get dunked. The word baptized just means get dunked. Growing up, my dad was both a pastor and a fan of cheesy comedy. And, um, and so if we'd be swimming, he'd come up and say, I'm going to baptize you, which meant I'm going to dunk you. It just means to get dunked. But what Jesus said is he said, go and make disciples and baptize them. It's just our way of going public, saying, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit falls in power. He preaches the gospel. People are literally begging to give their lives to Christ. They say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent, and then let each one of you get baptized. It's our, really what baptism is, is it's our first chance to obey Jesus. And, and it, what it is, is it paints this picture. We go under the water. It's a picture of when Jesus died and was buried. We come out of the water. It's a picture of when Jesus was raised from the dead. When we go under the water, it's a picture of the old us before we met Jesus dying. And we come out of the water, it's a picture of this brand new us who's gonna follow Jesus for the rest of our life. When we go under the water, it's like a picture of like taking a bath that when we, get, when we trusted in Christ and his work on the cross, all of our sins, past, present, and future were forgiven. And so what Jesus said is he said, and we see this, let me show you this. In Acts chapter eight, 
We see uh, Philip is, uh, is, he's talking to this guy from Ethiopia. He's preaching about, he's showing Jesus from the Old Testament. And it says, and Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news, the gospel about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, a few weeks ago, I, I talked about eunuchs for a few minutes and a number of people asked me if I'd be willing to do a seven week series on eunuchs. Pray for wisdom on that decision. And so <laughs> said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders, stop that chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him. What we see is this moment that the gospels preach and then the guy says, man, I, I believe and I wanna get baptized. And so if you've not been baptized, I wanna encourage you to do it next Sunday. You can sign up at lifechurchreno.com. You can scan that QR code. I think you could do it on the Church Center app. Uh, let us know, we'll give you more details. And that is a great next step for you. But here's what I, I wonder. I wonder if some of you have for most of your life been trying to kind of play kind of a middle ground view on Jesus, trying to kind of say, man, I, I'm not sure he's son of God. I'm not sure he's the savior of the world. I'm not sure he's the only way to, to, to be made right with God, but I do think he was a good teacher or a prophet or, and did some, said some good things. And I want you to know that, that when Jesus says, I'm the door, I'm the gate, I'm the way and the truth and the life, what he's saying is he's saying, you have to make a clear decision about me. Either I was an absolute wicked liar, lying about the most important things in human history, or I was absolutely crazy, or I actually am the son of God and the savior of the world and the only way to be made right with God. Why don't we pray together? I wonder if some of you, today's the day that you make a clear decision to follow Jesus. That you decide once and for all Maybe no one's ever told you just how much God loves you. Or maybe no one's ever told you the fact is all of us find ourselves sinful and broken, deserving to be punished for our sins. Or maybe no one's ever told you that in spite of our sin, that God never gave up on us and that, that he loved us so much that he took on human flesh, born, lived the perfect life we could never live, was born that he might die the death that we deserve to die but that he rose from the dead, conquering our greatest enemies of sin and death and hell. So that we could be made brand new, so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could become God's children, so that we could flourish with him in this life and forever. And maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this, or maybe you've heard this your whole life, but it's never really clicked. The light's never gone on like it is today. And there's something inside of you saying, today is the day that you make a clear decision. Is Jesus a lying, wicked, wicked man? Was Jesus out of his mind beyond all comprehension? Or is he my only hope? Is he the son of God? Is he the savior of the world? Is he, does he meet my greatest needs? 
And for some of you, there's something inside of you saying, this is the most true thing you've ever heard in your whole life. And there's something inside you saying, this is what you need to do. You need to give your life to Christ. And I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud, and it's not a prayer that saves you. It's, it's trusting in what Christ has done that saves you. But there's something powerful in looking back on a moment where you just know that you know that the page turned and you did business with God. And I'm gonna pray something like this. You can pray something like this in your heart, something like this. God, I need you. And I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe he died in my place. And I believe he rose from the dead. And I believe he's my only hope. I don't wanna keep living life where I'm in charge, but I wanna follow Jesus the rest of my life. So Father, would you even come and live inside of me in the person of your Holy Spirit and take control of my life? I wonder with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around, it's just you and me. I wonder if some of you would say, you know what, I just prayed that prayer and meant it with all of my heart. I just gave my life to Christ and really meant it for the first time. If that's you, I just wanna be able to rejoice with you. No one's looking around, it's just you and me. If you prayed that prayer and really meant it, I just wanna invite you, just raise up your hand a little bit and look up at me and let your eyes meet mine. I see you there, buddy. Anyone else on this side who say, you know what, I just prayed, I see you in the back, anyone else? What about over on this section? Anyone else who say, you know what, I just prayed that prayer to give my life to I see you in the back, bud. What about in the middle section, right in front of me? Anybody say, you know what, I just prayed that prayer. I see you, sir. Anybody else? What about right in front of me? I see you guys. I see you over on that side, buddy. Anyone else over there? You know, guys, if you just prayed that prayer, I just wanna congratulate you on the best decision that you'll ever make in your entire life. And I do wanna encourage you to take that next step, just like that guy from Ethiopia did with Philip. He said, I just wanna get baptized as soon as I can. You should do it next week. So Father, we love you. God, we thank you for these. Lord, I pray that they would follow you, that all of us would chase after you for the rest of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to catch more of the I Am series and to hear more messages like this. You can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com.